Live to see it, friends, and welcome to The World Transformed. This program is your guide to an astounding future that lies ahead, one that will be here sooner than you think, and one that you have an important role to play in bringing about. At The World Transformed, we want to introduce you to what may be the greatest transformation of them all, the one that begins with considering and acting on the almost limitless possibilities that lie before us and that ends somewhere beyond the reach of the human imagination. So, when does this amazing future begin? Well, today is the day. My name is Phil Bowermaster, and with me in the virtual studio is my co-author, co-futurist, and co-host, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Phil. How are you? Well, happy Friday. I'm just fine. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great, doing great. Got to the end of this uh, week, and I hope it's been a good one for you. It has been a super fantastic week, and we're wrapping it up with a really fun show. You know, we're, It's almost an all-other geek show, because we're going to talk a little parallel timeline little uh uh you know what what might have been this this could be the plot of a a good science fiction novel really um uh where where, where we're going to go and i've got a i've got a couple of interesting plots that we can that we can go down roads we can go down that way and uh, perhaps you'll no, have some uh, too phil this is uh this is a whole a genre of fiction that i think has really come about in our lifetime uh, i mean the what you know what could have been uh, sci-fi novels? Uh, I, I seem to recall, you know, some of the first of them being published maybe in the late seventies, early eighties, something like that. Um, well, it definitely became a thing then. It's it's gone on, yeah. it's gone on for longer than that. You know, Winston Churchill actually wrote a uh, an essay, which is kind of the uh, prequel to the whole field, which was uh, about um, Robert E. Lee winning at Gettysburg and how the world goes in this completely different direction if. Uh, if if Lee had won at Gettysburg, the South wins the Civil War. It's a really really interesting piece um, that kind of ends with this Anglosphere dominated world. It turns out to be this really good thing that the South wins the war, strangely. And uh, and um, it, you know it's one of those kind of counterintuitive. You go against you go against what what really happened. You, you you give an outcome that a lot of people would have thought maybe wouldn't have been that great, and you take it in a completely different direction. So although it was written as an essay, not as fiction, it kind of set the, set the tone for uh, what's happened with that kind of, you know, what might have been uh, genre of fiction. But, uh, but our scenario is not, really not fiction. Actually, I guess we're doing, kind of doing what Churchill did. We're, we're looking yeah. at, uh, we're, we're looking at some, some what might have been's, and uh, I think they have, they have a little bit to do with each other. But hey, Instead of talking about talking about it, let's talk about it. So I've got this headline. 500 years ago, China destroyed its world-dominating navy because its political elite was afraid of free trade. Now, I've actually heard this story before, and it's a very interesting story. That mm-hmm. Back in the 15th century, China had the world's greatest naval fleet, and they had ships five times the size of anything that was in Europe at that time. They were equipped for global domination, better equipped for global domination than, say, England would have been 150 years later when they had it, right? <laughs> or Spain or Portugal, you know, those who were, th- those who were competing for it. Um, China was already there, way ahead of Europe, and basically poised to explore and take over the world. You know, they were ready to sail those ships, those big ships. They could have taken them to America. They could have colonized the world. They, you know, they could have established trade with the world. They could have, they could have taken over the world. didn't happen. Why didn't it happen? Well, this is an interesting story because according to this historian, what happened was civil servants, folks within the Chinese government infrastructure, realized that having these big ships going out and trading was creating this new class of merchants, a whole new rising 
competing powerful class within the society that shouldn't exist under the highly structured kind of civil service based hierarchical Chinese society, and they wouldn't stand for it. So they had the they had the ships destroyed. I'd never heard that explanation for it before, and I think it's an interesting one. Neither have I. That's, yeah. that's new. I did not know that. That's interesting. I've heard variously that, that you know the Chinese were just kind of xenophobic, right? They didn't have any great interest in the world. I mean, they thought it was fun to build ships, but they <laughs> they didn't know what to do with them. Um, that, that that doesn't really pass muster, does it? It doesn't pass the sniff test. It's got to be something else. Well, I, you know, the thing is, they didn't build big empires. You know, they had empires, but the empires were always inside China, you know? Right. You, you don't see this movement of China moving itself down south into the rest of Asia. They, there's a presence there uh, of the Chinese population, but maybe not in the same way that other populations did. They, they, they have truly been very China-focused over their history in, in a way maybe that uh, – that other great expansive civilizations haven't been. So it's possible. I don't know enough about it to, to, uh, to, to say 100% for sure whether that could have had anything to do with it. You know, maybe the timing just wasn't right. They just didn't have a picture in their mind of, of what they were stepping away from. But I've got to say that, that the theory that, that this historian has come up with, it's pretty compelling. You, you, you look at it and go, well, um, you would think that they would have capitalized on that. Why didn't they? Somebody stopped it. Here's you know you know who had the means, motive, and opportunity. The you know these these folks would have right the people who who would have been threatened by trade. It's too bad they couldn't see the opportunity in trade. It's too bad they couldn't see this as an opportunity for them to expand their base of power. I mean, it's for them. It's too bad um, because had they acted on the capability that they had at that time, what would the world be like today? Right? What if China had oh, moved yeah. ahead and taken advantage of that fleet they had? What if they had taken advantage of their fleet in the same way that, say, Britain did or Spain or Portugal or, or the Netherlands did? What would the world look like today, do you think, Stephen, if that had happened? Oh, quite a bit different. Um, you know, the, uh, the distance across uh, the ocean uh, from, uh, you know, the Pacific Ocean is obviously further than right. the uh, distance across the Atlantic. Um, but uh, you know, I would I would expect under those circumstances that uh, China would uh, you know have uh, uh, you know come to dominate uh, uh, Japan more, uh, and, and perhaps uh, uh, some of the uh, the Pacific Islands, and then established uh, a uh, established something uh, in uh, perhaps what is now Western United States. Uh, you yeah. know, maybe South America, California maybe. would have been uh, would have been dominated by the, the Chinese, perhaps. Yeah, so possibly. Yeah. yeah, maybe all the Americas would have been Chinese outposts, you know, before the the Spanish or the British even had a chance to uh, to get started. I mean, yeah. uh, they, they had well, they mean, had the, the two, chance to do that. Yeah, the What's two that? dominant languages today are uh, probably uh, English and Mandarin, right? Well, it, perhaps it would have been the other way. We would say Mandarin and English are the two dominant languages. You know, perhaps the world would have been uh, a much different place, right? Yeah, well, you can even imagine a scenario where the British Empire never really gets to happen, right? Because yeah. not only could they have gone west, uh, excuse me, east to to, um, uh, to America, they could have gone uh, down and around Africa. They were sailing to Africa anyway. They could have gone around Africa and up into Europe and established some kind of hegemony there. They, you know, they they could have um, been a real inhibitor to 
other powers really really taking off. And you know, you can you can imagine. I guess the science fiction novel would be where the whole world is under Chinese control. I don't know if that would have happened. I don't know if there's any way that uh, that that, that yeah. could have happened. But you know, it, you you can definitely imagine a scenario where Britain just kind of remains who it is, and Spain just kind of remains who they are. You know, they they look out and they say, "Well, it'd be be nice," but the Chinese kind of own this whole ocean traveling thing, and so we'll just have some land wars here in Europe, and you know, we'll be the ones to stay home rather than rather than the Chinese. It could have been a big big kind of a flip, um, and who knows what the big languages in the world would have been? Maybe maybe the two big languages in the world would have just been dialects of Chinese, you know, Mandarin and Cantonese might be the two big languages on earth today or something. Um, right. Anyway, it, it would be it would be a very different world. Um, it's interesting to think of China and the West flipping positions, just just swapping, you know, and um, and what the how the world would be shaped today. Of course, there's no real there's there's no real telling. But the one thing you can say for sure is that had that happened, the West would not be in as strong a position as it is now, right? I mean, the, the, f- from the Western point of view, the last few hundred years wouldn't look as, I don't know, interesting or impressive as it does had that occurred. And from the Chinese standpoint, you know, it would have been uh, a, a pretty triumphant uh, history, I would think, or at least it would have started out that way um, from, 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 from their standpoint. Obviously, you know, there's a lot of different ways of looking at how the geopolitical situation has unwound over the past few years. But I think it's pretty fair to say that the West was really dominant for several centuries there. And uh, Asian powers only kind of come up really big in, you know, this century, right? Latter part of the last century and and into this century. How interesting would it be if it, if it would have taken till the 21st century, right, for uh, Europe to really become a world power? Yeah. Um, and, I mean, and the history of space flight would no doubt have been much different. Um, you know, I mean, it was that was a space race between uh, the United States and the Soviet Union, which uh, would not have happened that way. It might have been a space race against, you know, China versus the Soviet Union, or or perhaps the Soviet Union wouldn't have happened because, uh, uh, you, you know, if, if China is so dominant in Eurasia that perhaps the Soviet Union wouldn't have had a chance to take off. So it might have been, you know, a, uh, a European versus a Chinese space race at some point. It might have been. You can, you can imagine that maybe a, a more centralized European power arises just to kind of counter China at that point, right? If they've become this right. global dominant power, maybe something akin to a revitalized Roman Empire comes along, and ultimately the space race plays out who knows in what century, maybe earlier, maybe much later, than, than it did in our timeline, and it's between those two entities, right? And, and right. possibly, you can imagine, uh, this would be kind of interesting, kind of, actually a little bit of shades of um, uh, the man in the high castle, uh, the, the, the whole new world kind of being divided between Asian and European settlement, right? With maybe, uh, rather than a north and south between Britain and, and, and Spanish influence and Portuguese, you could see an east and west between uh, European and uh, and and Asian, uh, you know, all yeah, possible. I mean, the, the dividing line might be the Mississippi River. You know, yeah, exactly. But, uh, might, there might be some uh, European, uh, a country descended from European powers like the United States uh, might might extend only to the Mississippi, and uh, Asian uh, powers have the rest of the uh, North American continent, perhaps something like that. Who, who knows? It's uh, yeah. 
that's that's a fascinating. There's a novel. To, there's a series of novels to be written. And the whole series there. If if yeah. they had if they'd gone ahead with those ships. Now here's here's the other counterfactual, right? It's the old um, looking back. 400 years from now, when somebody says, do you know, at one time, the United States was the dominant power in space. They had spaceships and actually landed people on the moon, right? Um, they, could have, they could have become the power that, that conquered the moon, and instead it was, you know, whatever, whatever timeline actually unfolds. But, but that's, um, you know, that's the position we've actually been in for the past few decades. Uh, I, I see what happened with Apollo as comparable Different in important ways, but comparable to what the Chinese did with their ships, right? It's like, well, we buy yeah. build ships, and we, we could have, you know, explored the whole world, but we got other things to do, so no. And, you know, we kind of did that. Well, we sent a man to the moon. We sent a few more. We planted a flag, and now we're on to other priorities. Um, the question is, have we dropped the ball the way the Chinese did, or are we going to maybe pick the ball back up? That's that's kind of where we are in our, our history well, right now. Well, you know? if your explanation, uh, the one that uh, this, um, uh, where the bureaucrats or those in power decide, you know what, uh, this competing power structure, or let's uh, let's dismantle the the ships so that uh, these merchants can't they can't uh, be any threat to us. That's a that's obviously a different situation than uh, what it you know our, our retirement from space at least for a period of time, right? Um, I think it uh, it has um, a, a lot to do with the fact that uh, it, it was a government program for, uh, built for the purposes of competing with the Soviet Union, and when when that uh, when that reason went away, then you know those, that government program uh, kind of faded. But uh, looks like we're going back for different reasons now, isn't it? So that's true. That that could be the that could be the difference right there. Well, I, I, and I think you could make the case that uh, that even there, there's some similarity where where a bureaucrat in uh, medieval China may have said, uh, "We got to shut this down." Um, all it took in 1960s, 1970s U.S. was for the bureaucrats to say, "We're not going ahead with this." Right? I mean, it was easier. It was an, it was an easier choice to make because they wanted to spend the money on something else. Not that they felt threatened by it, but Ultimately, it was bureaucracy that uh, that that brought the end to both. And it's a good point uh, that in both cases they were government programs. I mean, everything in China was a government program, and to this day, I guess pretty pretty much as a government program. When they built those ships, you know, it was uh, it was pretty much pretty much a government program. Although it was creating a new a new class of a class of merchants, but it was completely under the government's control whether they were going to do anything, and they decided not to. But here is the difference. You know, what if it becomes something other? than a government program. And that's what we're seeing with this second story I've got linked here. Elon Musk and SpaceX are sending humans to the moon. Well, don't misread it. No one's going to land, right? But uh, Around the moon, yeah. Yeah, yeah they're, they're, well, they are going to the moon because they'll be in orbit around the moon, so it's a trip to the moon for sure. But uh, two paid passengers are going to go to the moon, and they're saying like next year, right, 2018, they're going to send yeah. to Late 2018. Yeah, two paid passengers, two civilians, you know, as far as I know, regular people, uh, to the moon. So we've talked about commercializing space, and we've talked about space tourism. But, you know, when people are taking joy rides to the moon, when people are taking um, – when, when you can go to the moon as a tourist, I think you've got to be a billionaire. These people both, both, both must be billionaires, but even so. Yeah, yeah. When such a thing as, as lunar – 
tourism exists, um, you're out of the the bureaucrats are going to decide this thing 100 percent, right? right? You're you're in you're in <laughs> you're into a different model at that point. And uh, well, here's my thought on the cost of going to the moon. If you're you know if if you're a member of this audience and uh, um, you know uh, and you happen to have a spare billion dollars. I think the way you negotiate something like this with Elon Musk would be, um, you know, you would, you'd approach him and, and show interest. Uh, but here's the thing: it's a big deal for Elon Musk, right? Yeah. To me, if if uh, even you know, even if um, the, the my paid passengers could only afford half the cost of doing this, and I was literally going to lose half the cost of, of sending two people around the moon, I would do it anyway. And I suspect that's what's happening here. Even even super wealthy people can't pay 100% of the ticket price. But Elon Musk will have the bragging rights of having right. done this. Exactly. And that is, that is worth, I mean, you know, that's, that's huge. That's huge. And, well, you think uh, about it. If the space race is going on again, if it's restarted, and we've heard about India possibly going to the moon, we've heard about China going to the moon, who's going right. to win the new space race? Is it going to be the U.S. again, only this time it's a private company right i mean it's not the u.s government it's uh it's elon musk basically wins the new space race right we 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 right. win the second time and it's not even you know it's a it's a business beating nation states it's one man's vision basically beating nation states it's a pretty uh, uh a pretty astounding turn of events if that occurs and yeah that's uh that is not only the bragging rights of going to the moon but people snickering at his ideas to go to Mars, how many people are going to snicker after he pulls this one off, right? Maybe some right. still will, but fewer than were before, I would think. Right. And, um, you know, and he'll, he'll be able, to, I suspect, Phil, that uh, uh, he'll be able to break some records that uh, have, have stood, you know, well, he'll be able to say after this flight that he's taken human beings further from Earth than have ever been taken before. I suspect that the orbit he plans will, will allow, allow him to... No need that. to suspect. That's actually been announced, that these okay. people will be, they will be the farthest that any humans have ever traveled from Earth. If you okay. look at the... Uh, actually, there's a diagram in the one story, and it shows this big looping orbit the first time around, much tighter orbit around the moon the second time, and then that spins them right back to Earth. So it's twice around the moon, first time on a very long orbit that's going to send a lot of elongated orbit. Well, you see, and, and the furthest uh, uh, prior to now uh, that anyone's ever gone is on 10, Apollo 10. Mm -hmm. uh, they went on a kind of elongated orbit around the moon. Um, but here, uh, he's, he's going to elongate it e even more, and, uh, which probably would allow him to pass uh, close to the moon. Um, if, you know, in order to have an elongated, uh, 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 you know, uh, orbit, uh, you could you could pass, uh, you know, it's funny you could pass within fifty miles of the uh, surface of the moon without without problem. There's no atmosphere, right? I right. Mean, you could, right. Uh, and and what a what a ride that would be as you shoot past the moon uh, so close. Um, be a little unnerving, but it'd be awesome. And um, and 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 by doing so, you uh, um, you you can also say that you've been furthest from the planet that, than anyone's ever been. And uh, that's. Uh, Again, bragging rights very important to this uh, to what he's trying to do here. And I'll tell you the other thing that it's that it's good for him um, and just good for the whole enterprise of going to the moon. One of the reasons that it is, he has stated now that he is going to send these two individuals who put down a deposit unless 
NASA wants to send two astronauts, in which case he will give NASA priority. NASA always gets priority, he says, for SpaceX, and uh, he'll send his two people on the next mission. So he will actually turn this mission over to NASA if they want to play. Obviously, um, it's pay-to-play for, uh, uh, for private individuals. I'm sure he has in mind for it to be pay-to-play for, for NASA as well. But what if they took him up, right? What a coup that would right. be. But basically, NASA would be admitting that Elon Musk can get him to the moon. <laughs> I don't think right. they're going to. But even that he said that really you know, establishes himself as kind of an equal partner with NASA, not, not just a supplier to NASA, but someone who is kind of in the same business as, as them. And, you know, I don't know if he, he even sort of leaps ahead of them a little bit with this one, right? They're kind of damned if right. they do and damned if they don't. If they took him up on the offer, um, then they're admitting for all time, right, that he's kind of ahead of them. If they don't, but but they, but the, but then uh, you know they're not even part of it. If they don't, then he gets to the moon, and they had nothing to do with it, right? As it, as it yeah. is, NASA's statement was that you know they're going to be monitoring and they'll work with him and and help him to be safe and all that kind of stuff. But boy, if if I were a NASA administrator, if I were in charge of NASA, I'd be seriously looking at that and saying, God, oh, what yeah. do we do? How, you know, yeah, how, how, how do we respond? How do we to get this? the guys with the right stuff? Uh, guys and gals with the right stuff going on this. Uh, we want we want our people on it. Yeah, <laughs> and you know what he he um, this this whole thing he hasn't even told the world who these people are um, right uh, who uh, who these paying people are. What if uh, you know it, it, this is all just a kind of a uh, PR thing in order to uh, <laughs> in order to get NASA to 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 spur NASA back to the moon. Uh, who knows? Okay, see, now, now it's turned back into a Robert A. Heinlein novel, right? That's yeah, exactly, exactly what the, one of those characters would do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they finally send their astronauts, and, he's li- and they're like, uh, okay, now you can send your two billionaires, and they be like, oh, those guys, they, they changed their mind. You know, rolled That's their right. eyes. And... <laughs> yeah, they're washed. They're washed with their foot down. You know? uh, they both died. Anyway, uh, it's not going to happen. So, <laughs> so. Yeah. So I, I feel I feel like uh, we're in a, we're in a great position to have turned away from you know ever being remembered as the civilization that could have done it and didn't, and Elon Musk is uh, is is helping to to push us in that direction. I feel like it's a uh, it's it's just very encouraging to you know to see this this kind of thing not just being discussed but seriously planned and you know I hope. Uh, actually going to be executed in the very near future. Looking forward to seeing two people go back to the moon. It's been way too long, huh? Uh, certainly. When was the last time? Was it... Um, 74, uh, I think? Yeah, I think 74. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, 17 was in 74, I think. And that was the last one. Um, well, um, anyway, I, I, I was I thinking other uh, alternative uh, you know, histories. Uh, this is one that we've mentioned before, Phil, but uh, uh, you remember Archimedes? And, oh yeah. Um, and what happened to him with uh, the Romans? Uh, uh, it was the sacking of Syracuse, right? Um, mm-hmm. What if in the sacking of Syracuse, which was a which a interesting piece of history right there? I mean, they they literally had um, a, were using mirrors to direct the uh, uh, the Syracuse people were using mirrors of Archimedes' design to set the. Uh, the opposing fleet on fire out in the harbor. Okay, and yeah, they, they think got of them too, as as ancient world ray guns. Basically, they were shooting. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> if they got too close, uh, they had cranes that would literally lift these ships out of the harbor, and <laughs> you know, um, and they, it was all counterweight kind of you know 
you know, this is prior. This is pre. This is not punk. steampunk. This is like bronze punk. This, uh, you know, the, yeah. The, this technology they had—it's just amazing. It's so awesome. Yeah. And so, and, the, and so, the Romans had a standing order uh, with you know the Roman troops. Whatever you do, get Archimedes alive. We right. want this man. We want. I mean, he, we want what he has to offer. Right. Right. Uh, we're, we're talking about the uh, the probable inventor of the Antikythera mechanism, the ancient world computer. Okay, this is who we're talking about. Right. Exactly. So the Romans said, the Romans said, uh, yeah, we got to have this guy. And so, of course, uh, the you know the Roman uh, troops, uh, you know, uh, were eventually able to get into Syracuse and uh, break into where Archimedes was. Archimedes, of course, doing what all geniuses do, he's in the middle of solving some equation. And he he literally cannot pull himself away. He he doesn't even acknowledge the Roman troops that are in the room. Right? Yeah. This enrages one of the uh, you know some Roman underling who runs him through. Right. And that's that's the end of that. But what if that hadn't happened, Phil? What a different world it would be. Um, you know, we, we're talking about a uh, a you know a possible uh, information age that would have arisen during the time of the dark age. What we, what we call the dark ages. Absolutely. Um, well, yeah. I yeah. mean, he was building computers. Sure. I mean, what what was that? What year was that? That was um, uh, the Archimedes died. Uh, it was BC. Let's see here, uh, two twelve BC. Okay, so that's a significant yeah. head start on building a computer. You know, I mean, <laughs> any <laughs> yeah. any yeah. any way you look at it, yeah. If that yeah. if if that technology had expanded beyond the one guy, right? If Rome had gotten a hold of it and some of that stuff had become standardized, you're, yeah, you're definitely looking at a very different uh, a very different future timeline. So that's really kind of the takeaway: is we should not only look not to make the mistake of stepping away from a good direction. But we've got to look for those opportunities where we can totally accelerate and not miss yeah. those, right? Let's not kill Archimedes, right? Let's, yeah. let's, <laughs> that's sort of rules to live by, right? Yeah, yeah. Whatever you do, don't let Archimedes die, right? You're gonna, right. you're you're gonna need that guy. Yeah, we 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 could be. It's it's interesting thing. Huh? We could be a couple thousand years ahead of where we are right now. What would that look yeah. like? We we could be living in the post singularity world now. Um, oh yeah. Had, well, had, I would certainly that expect happened. that, but I mean, we you know we might be having this conversation from a neighboring star, uh, right. you know, who knows? Um, but uh, that, a much different, much different world. Okay, so that's our that's our lessons for the week. Don't burn your ships. Don't kill Archimedes. Um, any, if anybody has any questions, as always, you're welcome to call Stephen, and he's happy to. Uh, <laughs> discuss that with you further. Okay, that's that's pretty geeky, but we can we can geek out a little bit more uh, before we call it a call it a week. We've been wanting to talk about Rogue One, and I finally saw it last week. And I want to tell you something. This is a this is a pretty good order to do this in too. I watched Rogue One last week, and then over the weekend, um, on Saturday, I watched uh, Hacksaw Ridge. Okay. Okay. Very similar movies in some ways, you know. Um, yeah. I mean, completely different movies, but they're both World War II movies, right? One's actually set during World War II, and the other one is a World War II movie set, you know, in the Star Wars universe. But the, the, it's, I think it's accurate to say, and by the way, uh, if, in case you haven't figured out, we're going to talk spoilers. Yeah, we're, we're going to spoil uh, it. Well, anyway, you already know they get the Death Star plans for crying out loud. So, I mean, there's, yeah, it's so kind of hard to spoil Rogue One, but... Yeah. Uh, well, you know, uh, some some of our audience may not know some some aspects of it. So if you don't want to know it, uh, you know, go watch it and then come back and listen to the rest. Exactly. Of it. Anyway, listen to the rest um, of the show. And watch Hacksaw Ridge. It's really good. Yeah. Uh, true. Um, uh, Star Wars uh, is 
to some extent has always just been a um, you know a kind of pulpy fun kind of thing, right? It's yep. it, this movie is the war movie of Star Wars. It is it actually you know there's human consequence. There's you know uh, good good people are uh, are called upon to do things that are not so good, um, and then there good people die. It's right. um, you know it's uh, and of course uh, it's sort of like if if, uh, if this story really did happen a long long time ago or a long time ago I forget which huh, how many long a long not long long that's okay. long okay it's a long time um, if this really did happen a long time ago then the stories we'd end up hearing would be the stories told by the, the people who survived these events right right and uh, and so you know maybe we don't hear so much about uh, the awfulness of uh, of of the war. Well, this, this uh, allows us to see some of the, some of the bad stuff and it's a darker movie, but um, I mean, just to ask you, Phil, do, do you feel that this is a worthwhile movie? Is it a good movie? Yeah, it was a good, it was a good world war two movie. Like I said, um, I, yeah. one, one of the things I told, I, I watched it with my oldest. Um, in fact, it was in the same theater where, where she and I had gone to see episode one, like, five times together okay so this is kind of like a very nostalgic thing for her going to a star wars movie with her dad at this same place where we used to go all the time and um i told her that i was just you know suffering a certain amount of like cgi movie fatigue superhero movie fatigue star wars fatigue and i didn't know if i was going to be into it so i was going to try to watch it just as a movie not as a star wars movie of course that's impossible right especially because right. you know the just absurd levels of fan service they've got you know in the movie when you're like oh peter cushing he's just it's like he's alive and it's you know you you can't help but uh <laughs> you know just be eating all that stuff up it's like hey rogue leader red leader you know it's the same guys how do they do that oh my god it's amazing um but um where was i going with that but if you just do watch it as a movie it it works as just a good old-fashioned war movie you know it really does work and those don't always have happy endings i mean it does have a happy ending because the group achieves their objective, right? And there's, uh, you know, this is what happens in war. You don't achieve good outcomes without sacrifice. And, you know, who gets sacrificed in this movie, unfortunately, is like everybody we care about, right? It's kind of, it's yeah. like, it's like one of those war movies. But you've seen those movies, right? You've seen yeah. those movies where everybody or almost everybody dies. Um, I'm going to spoil, um, more spoilers are coming, and I won't even say the name of the movie. So just hang up now, if you, or turn off the thing now if you don't hear it. But the movie Fury, right? Have you seen that? Uh, remind me. Brad Pitt tank movie, World War II. It was out okay, a couple yeah. years ago. Go, yeah, uh, I haven't seen it, but don't worry about spoiling me on it. Oh, okay, well, I'm sorry to spoil it, but everybody, uh, right. actually, I won't, because this doesn't spoil it. Everybody but one character dies, right? The rest of them okay. die. But they do it by stopping, you know, this huge influx of Nazis from achieving their objective. So, you know, it's like the ending you expect. Worthwhile. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's it's like this is the sacrifice was worth it, and and this is this is a good thing to do. And, and I think this is what they need to do if they're just going to crank out Star Wars movies like this. If they're just going to keep making Star Wars movies like this, they have to go to established genres, and they have to make movies within kind of these subgenres. You know, they need to make a good Star Wars western and a good Star Wars maybe romance, a good one. You know, not like Episode Two, God help us, right? But a good one. Um, yeah. And 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 they can take existing. I think existing patterns and templates for movies and, and just kind of fit the Star Wars stuff into them. And I think it'll work because what they're going to run out of is, you know, the fan service thing will eventually wear out. You know, you, 
<laughs> it will be less exciting when you see an at at you know attack in, in you know five movies from now than it is now, right? You know, um, yeah. a, a, a CGI young Harrison Ford. They won't have to do that because I got a new actor playing him. But uh, you, you know what I'm saying? A, a CGI young uh, Mark Hamill or something like that will not be as exciting five movies from now after seeing a CGI young um, uh, Carrie Fisher. So, you know, they, they can't just count on the fans forever being thrilled by that. Eventually they got to, you know, they, they, they got to say, well, we got to make movies that will just work as movies. And I thought Rogue One totally worked as a movie. Yeah. That's yeah. kind of my... And, and Todd, in some ways, uh, I guess this is, this is the first what they call anthology movie. Uh, hmm. mm-hmm. All all other Star Wars movies, uh, you know, unless you count the uh, uh, the Ewok movies, which you shouldn't. Okay, all all other <laughs> you know, all, yeah, you know, don't. Um, you know, it's uh, it, it, there's there's certain parts of uh, of Star the Star Wars uh, universe that you just best left alone uh, out there with a the holiday special. Okay, um, but anyway, right. Um, you know the the episodes one through seven that we have so far, uh, you know, are all kind of a continuous story. This is the first anthology movie, and to me, to me, it, uh, the fact that it's so good um, it gives me a lot of hope that uh, you know at some point we just retire this whole you know numbered movie business. I think probably after episode nine they probably will. I, I you know I don't know. Uh, they just say, okay, that we've told the uh, Skywalker family story with uh, episodes one through nine, and now we're just going to, you know, make Star Wars movies, you know, however we want to, and and explore, uh, you know, time frames and different and different parts of the universe that we've never touched on before. That where there's interesting stories to tell, and and in different ways, like you say, the western, uh, perhaps uh, you know, a good. Um, uh, Kung Fu Cinema uh, remake, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, just all kinds of genres that c- you could explore, and it'd be fun. And it gives me hope that they can do that. And um, and l- yeah, like me say, too. Well, it, here's the thing: as long as they make good movies, I'm on board. And yeah, you know, th- the truth is, I have never gone to a movie theater and sat down and watched a Star Wars movie and not had a good time. Never have. And that includes the first three episodes that have been so maligned and everyone has uh, talked so bad about. To me, uh, they were all entertaining movies held my attention, got to the end, and was like, you know, wow, that was pretty dazzling. I, I think, you know, a, a lot of the criticism of them comes on repeated viewing and, and thinking about them a lot. <laughs> and, you know, that's fair. Yeah. You, can, you, can, you can do that. But actually, as an experience of just like, you know, you show up and you buy your popcorn and your Coke Zero and you sit down, I've always had a good time in the Star Wars movie. And as long as they keep get, showing me a good time, I'm going to keep going to them. That's, uh, yeah. that's, that's where I am with Star Wars. Uh, this one bears, uh, Rogue One bears uh, repeated viewings. Uh, I, I, I think will bear repeated viewings as much as the original trilogy, uh, certainly as much as Episode Seven. Um, mm, and, yeah. um, and 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 I, I would uh, say that, uh, you know, one, one through three. While I agree with you that uh, I, you know, I, I enjoyed them probably somewhat the first time I watched each of them in the movie theater. They don't repair, bear repeated viewing. I, I think I might have seen uh, the original trilogy twice: once in the theater and maybe once at home with the kids. And, uh, mm-hmm. and not even the kids are asking to watch them again. So yeah. um, no, I've I've not watched any of them more than once. But uh, yeah. but well, I take that back. I saw the I saw episode one four or five times. Like I said, when it first came out, we were so excited. Oh, yeah. She wanted to keep, yeah. she kept wanting to go see it, so we went to see it. Well, but I always are. had fun, 
I think there's something about going to a movie theater and watching a movie, too. That experience, that cannot be uh, replicated. I don't care how big of a screen you have at home. There's something about the corporate experience with an audience of enjoying a great movie. Well, and that was the thing. I almost skipped this because I was like, you know what? I've seen enough Star Wars movies. And then I thought, there has never been a Star Wars movie that I didn't go see, right? Yeah. So... Uh, and so far there still isn't, and at the rate we're going, maybe there never will be. We'll see how it goes. Anyway, that's that's me being as geeky as I can possibly be. That's uh, that's as other geek as it gets. Um, and I guess we've we've run a little long, but hey, it was Star Wars. What are you going to do? That's right. Well, I enjoyed Rogue One also, and uh, obviously, and you know, looking forward to the Han Solo uh, anthology film and Episode Eight. Episode Eight is uh, later this year. And the Han Solo film is uh, late 2018. So Lots more good stuff to come. And speaking of more good stuff to come, we're going to be back again next week with three more brand new shows and two more trips into the archives to listen to the old stuff. So hope you'll be with us. It was great talking with you all. Stephen, great talking with you. And until next time, live to see it. 